Must be at least 18 years old. Promo code, location, and other restrictions apply. See terms of use for details. Please play responsibly. Call 800-426-2537 for help. Think you know sports? Then try to turn your sports knowledge into real money with the Sleeper app, the ultimate fantasy sports app that can turn game day into payday. With up to 100 times payout and your first deposit matched up to $500. Just download the Sleeper app and pick your favorite sports and players, like Christian McCaffrey's rushing yards. With more stats than any sports app, just choose two or more of your favorite players from pregame, live, or even across different sports. Pick more or less from the predicted stats and ka-ching. You could win up to 100 times your money if your pick wins. With the Sleeper app, you can make picks anytime, even after the game starts. With up to 100 times payout, what are you waiting for? Download Sleeper today and unlock one of the fastest-growing fantasy sports apps in the world. Just go to the App Store, download the Sleeper app today, and use code SPORTS for up to $500 match on your first deposit. That's promo code SPORTS. and thanks for tuning in tonight. My name is Sandman, and I'm going to be your guide through this strange realm of ghosts, cryptids, UFOs, aliens, conspiracy theories, and other unsolved mysteries that I like to call parareality. Well, it seems that my hiatus from the show was, of course, short-lived because of the bombing that took place here in downtown Nashville, Tennessee, on Christmas Day 2020. You know, I was originally going to take the month of December off and then uh, come back fresh and new with a whole brand new season for season 15 on January 1st. However, that has all taken a back seat because of the big event that took place here in Nashville on Christmas Day, and I could not in good conscience Uh, not address this. Now, there are a lot of conspiracy theories and other weird and kooky things going on around here uh, all over the Internet based on what this guy did. And just in case you've been living under a rock or don't watch TV or listen to the news or anything like that, just to kind of fill you in on what's been going on here in Nashville, on Christmas Day, a gentleman by the name of Anthony Quinn Warner, 63-year-old guy that just lives in Antioch, Tennessee, which is right down the road from Nashville, drove his RV about 1.22 in the morning, drove it downtown Nashville, parked it in one of the historic districts of the downtown area at the intersection of uh, 2nd and Commerce Streets, and um, then around 6 a.m.-ish started... Uh, blasting over a loudspeaker, a countdown timer, said that there was a a bomb and that he had 15 minutes to clear the area and started playing uh, the song Downtown by Petulia Clark. Then, after that was over with, proceeded with the countdown again, and at 6.30 on the dot, blew himself up. He parked it right in front of the AT&T building, caused damage to uh, approximately one square block of the downtown Nashville area, took out most of the AT&T building, and with that, crippled communication in about four states. Not statewide in four states, but it happened in four states. It got the Middle Tennessee area. Uh, it got uh, 
up into Kentucky, down into North Alabama, and over into West Georgia and parts of West Georgia. Uh, was an um, just uh, a, a huge explosion. It could be felt as far as 20 to 25 miles away. Um, I've talked to people who uh, lived that far away who said that they heard it. Um, I've seen video from people's uh, ring cameras and stuff uh, and security cams that uh, were 15 or 20 miles away that uh, picked up the explosion. It's just crazy. And now I did a uh, part one of this a couple of days ago, and um, we've had some new developments since then, so I thought that I would uh, come back and, and do a part two. I'm sure... Sh- I'm sure there's going to be more to this as things evolve. I don't know when a part three is going to be. We're going to have to get a lot more information, I think, before we can start developing a whole another podcast episode to this. Um, but for now, what I'm going to do is kind of pick up where I left off, and uh, we're going to do a little bit of speculation. I'm going to fill you in on some more of the details that has been found out since, um, well, since this weekend. Uh, but before I get tonight's episode kicked off, uh, let me tell you how you can get in contact with me here on the podcast. Because if you listen, you know that there are several different ways that you can go about doing this. So here we go. First of all, you can email me, sandman at parareality.com. That's sandman at parareality.com. That is the fastest and quickest way to email me. Next you can uh, find me on my Facebook page by going to facebook.com slash sandman.parareality. That's sandman.parareality. You can find me on my Facebook page there. I always post some stuff a couple every uh, couple of times a day. I try to. Sometimes I don't always get to that. Um, but Facebook is where you can find out a lot of some interesting articles, some show topics, some upcoming stuff, things like that. So you can always follow me there on Facebook. You can also go to my other social media accounts, which would be Twitter and Instagram. Both of my usernames there is at Radio. That's at Radio on Twitter and Instagram if you want to follow me there. And uh, I do also have a YouTube account, which is youtube.com slash user slash parareality1, the number one youtube.com slash user slash parareality1 if you just want to type it in, or you can just go to YouTube and type in parareality, and you'll you'll be able to find it that way. And uh, I'm experimenting with this podcast episode. I'm, I'm trying some video stuff, and I'm going to post a, a video of this up on my YouTube account too in case anybody wants to just have a video, you know, watch a video of me sitting here talking to myself, so. I don't know. We'll see. See how that goes. Um, and lastly, you can always call me here at the uh, podcast on the studio line, 615-692-1170. That number to call, once again, is area code 615-692-1170. And you can leave me a message on the voicemail. Uh, now, remember, if you do decide to call up that number and leave me a message, you're giving me permission to play your comment back on the podcast. So if you don't want me to play that or any other part of that, you'll need to let me know somewhere in your message. Now, I'm always looking for interesting stories for the podcast, so if you've got a story that you'd like to get on the show, tell it to me on the voicemail. Uh, I think there's a three-minute time limit if you call and 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 run out in the time in the middle of your message, just call me right back and pick up where you left off. So those are all the ways that you can get in touch with me. Recap them once again. Email, quickest and easiest, sandman at parareality.com. Facebook group is uh, facebook.com slash sandman.parareality. Or you can follow me on social media, or excuse me, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. And my username is at parareelradio on Twitter and Instagram. Find me on YouTube, Parareality1 on YouTube, or don't forget that all-important studio line, 615-692-1170. So those are all of the different ways that you'll be able to get in touch with me here on the podcast. Now, I have an email. God, I love I love reading emails. 
I really do. So I have an email. This is the part of the, of the podcast where I really, really feel like I get to interact with those who listen. So this comes from longtime listener of the podcast, Kasima. And Kasima writes, Hey, listened to your latest episode. And by that, she's referring to the Nashville Bomber episode. I've been keeping up with this since Christmas Day and have been super fascinated by this case. I've been doing numerology on this case just to see if there's anything. And I did happen upon something. All right, so... For those of you who know anything about numerology, this will make sense to you. I self-admit that I know nothing about numerology, but I'm, I'm going to read what she said anyway. Okay, so here she goes. Antioch equals 7. Anthony Quinn Warner equals 737. Antioch, Tennessee area code is 615, which equals 3. So I further researched Antioch, which led me to Lucian of Antioch. Interesting how the bombing happened on a Christian holiday. If you don't know who Lucian of Antioch is, he is uh, a uh, Christian martyr. I believe they did make him a saint as well. And it's uh, L-U-C-I-A-N, Lucian of Antioch. So yet it is interesting that it happened on a Christian holiday. Uh, Kasima goes on to say, Then I realized after learning about Antioch, California, and Illinois... Kyle Rittenhouse is also from Antioch, Illinois, like Anthony being from Antioch, Tennessee. And if you don't know who Kyle Rittenhouse is, that's the guy that during the Black Lives Matter protest during the summer uh, killed three people and claimed it was uh, like he was protecting uh, the protesters or something like that and nothing really happened to him. Yeah, so um, that's very interesting. I, I... I don't think I ever would have put those together. I would never put any of this together because I don't do numerology, right? Uh, Let's see. And she says, Antioch, Illinois area code is 847, which equals 19, which equals 10, which equals 1. Don't know what that means, Kasima, sorry. 1 is the number of beginnings. 3 from the Tennessee area code is a Christ number. Remember, she said the Tennessee area code, 615, equals 3. So 3 is a Christ number. The thing took place on Christmas Day, so that's interesting. And then she says, uh, then Antioch, California area code is 925, which equals 16, which equals 7. Don't know what that means again, sorry. January 7th is when Lucian of Antioch died. That's true. Kyle Rittenhouse committed his crime on August 25th. 25 equals 7. That's also four months exactly to the day pretty much when Warner blew himself up Christmas Day, December 25th. So if you count from August 25th to December 25th, that's four months exactly there. So she concludes with saying, lots of seven and three. I've been following these graffiti tags in RVA that says, and that's where she lives, uh, that says seven, or is the number seven usually written three times. There's a lot to unpack, but I will keep looking into this. I rarely find things that line up this way and thought I would share. Happy New Year, and you can share this with you like. Thanks, Kasima. Wow, Kasima, uh, thank you for sharing that intel with me. I, I, I don't know anything about numerology. Um, it, it, it is completely foreign to me. I might as well be trying to read Egyptian hieroglyphs. Um, so, yeah, um, I, I, I'm, I'm impressed by what you have done and I can see that there are connections there that probably I guess could only be made with, uh, with numerology, but yeah, I really appreciate that. I have, um, it's, 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 I really don't know what to say cause it's so foreign to me and uh, with the numerology, but you keep digging into it, Kasima. And if you're listening to this, thank you very much. Keep digging into it and let me know if you find anything else out. Wow, that was so interesting. I just keep saying numerology. Don't know what it means. (laughs) Oh, man. All right, so let's get on with this. So let's kind of uh, recap what happened, and then we'll go into what has happened since the last episode. So 
like I said, uh, on Christmas Day, Anthony Quinn Warner, about 1.22 in the morning, drove into downtown Nashville, started blasting all this weird stuff out of his RV, uh, countdown timer with a warning, um, and then playing Petulia Clark's downtown. And uh, here is the, um, see if I got this here. Here is the warning that he blasted. See if I can get that queued up here. Let's see. And that was the warning that was blasting from um, his RV is this area must be evacuated now. And then we went into playing Petulia Clark's downtown, went back to uh, the warning, and then 6.30 a.m. blew himself up. Now, at that point in time, we didn't know that it was just one person. We didn't know what the motives were. We didn't know if there were more bombs. We didn't know if this was a terrorist attack or, or whatever. So there were a lot of unanswered questions. Um, and when by the time I got around, now this happened on Friday, and I didn't get around to recording my podcast episode until Sunday evening. So by the time that I got around to doing this, there were a few... Um, There were a few questions that had been answered. There were um, still more questions that weren't answered than than were. And we still, at, at that point in time, we did not have, um, we had a suspect, but we did not have, like it wasn't 100% nailed down, but everything was looking like it was, it was going to be this Anthony Quinn Warner guy. So just how did we arrive? At this, well, a tip, a hat, and a pair of gloves provided basically all the evidence that authorities needed to identify the remains of the man that that triggered the bomb, that rocked this city, and took his took his own life in the process on Christmas morning. The director of the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation, named David Roush, he said on Monday morning that a tip from the public put Anthony Quinn Warner on the. Uh, radar of the law, local law enforcement, and the federals, and that uh, DNA that they obtained from gloves and a hat retrieved from a car that Warner owned helped confirm the identification. Roush went on to say that he was, uh, that Warner was not on their radar. Calls came in from the public and were absolutely key to helping them identify the suspect, at least with a name, are giving the the investigation a direction that it could take. Now, the authorities are still trying to determine why Warner killed himself and set off this bomb and did this whole elaborate thing. Why did he do what he did? Um, his body was, was basically blown to bits. It was incinerated, uh, really, by the force of the bomb when the uh, RV he was in exploded on that quiet downtown street on Christmas morning. Now, it didn't kill anybody, thank God. There were six police officers who acted bravely and quickly and cleared out just about as many uh, bystanders as they possibly could, and there were only three minor injuries. Thank goodness. Now, DNA in the form of tissue, with my air quotes, was found at the scene, and that was used to help identify Warner along with the DNA from um, the hat and the gloves that they found in that car. Now, in addition to the DNA found at the blast site and that that they found in the car, um, they were also able to um, link the vehicle uh, thanks to a uh, VIN number, a vehicle identification number that was recovered from the pieces of the RV and that, of course, was registered to Warner. Now, as I've said before, just moments before the blast, a speaker system broadcast a warning to evacuate the area. Officers at the scene before the explosion said that the speakers also played that 1960s hit song, Downtown by Petulia Clark. And the lyrics 
describing downtown as a place to seek refuge from sadness began with, when you're alone and life is making you lonely, you can always go downtown, downtown. And I know I can't sing, but those were the first lyrics. So police acting on the RV's warnings, just they, they evacuated the area, as many people as they could. Uh, the only fatality was Warner himself, but unfortunately, like 41 buildings were damaged. Uh, specifically, the AT&T switching station was uh, almost completely taken out. Um, and the um, thing that, that the FBI keeps reiterating here is that Warner acted alone, that this was uh, the act of a sole person and not part of any terrorist plot or anything like that. Now, who was this guy Warner? Well, he's 63. He's a longtime Nashville area resident, lived in the Antioch area, which is like a suburb of Nashville. Not a great area, but one of the older areas in Nashville. And the RV was parked near uh, an AT&T switching station downtown when the blast occurred. Now, an interesting thing about this is that uh, I revealed this in the first, in part one of this. And if you hadn't heard part one, you really need to hear part one before you do finish any further with this part two. But, so spoiler alert here. If you haven't heard part one, you need to go listen to it. Stop right now. Go to part one. So, interesting, Warner's father once worked for AT&T. Well, he actually worked for uh, Southern Bell, which uh, was brought up, which was brought up, which was brought out, bought out by AT and T. I think in the early two thousands. So there's the possibility that AT and T was the target of this is being investigated. Maybe Warner uh, thinks that uh, his father was done wrong. Maybe there's some sort of perceived wrongdoing, or maybe uh, he actually did get wrongly treated or something like that. I don't know. Um, I, I do know that Warner's father retired shortly after AT&T bought Bell South. So I don't know, um, if that had anything to do with it, uh, but it's just, it, it was very interesting that he parked right there at that AT&T switching station. So the building was severely damaged, almost completely destroyed. And this is what happened as a result of that. Internet got disrupted. Phone and emergency services communication across multiple states were also disrupted. Retailers were affected. Walmart confirmed that outages affected multiple stores in the area. And uh, there were many of, the, many of the shoppers helped confirm this because they were taking the social media to say that, hey, Walmart's closing in this location and that location and here we got this location. Here's only accepting cash. And it wasn't just Walmart that got affected. There was a lot of retailers that got affected. If you didn't have cash, they weren't able to sell to you uh, because of uh, all the interruption with the phone and the Internet services. A lot of people, are, are, are their phone services are VOIP right now. So if the Internet goes down, so does your phone. So, you know, it, it really affected uh, a large not only a large area geographically, but a large number of things it affected. Now, interestingly enough, Warner had held several IT jobs in the past, and current public records show that he had extensive experience with electronics and alarm systems because he used, he used to own an alarm company. And most recently, he was working as an independent uh, computer technician IT guy with this real estate firm called Frederick and Clark. Now, just recently, a few days before Christmas, he uh, called him up and said, uh, hey, I am retiring. I'm not going to be able to work for you anymore. And that was basically it. Didn't give them any other explanation other than that. It was like, dude, you're going to have to find somebody else. I'm retiring. And I'm doing it now. So that's, you know, really suspect there. Once again, nothing to raise any red flags, right? Well, federal agents raided Warner's home in Antioch, and they also went to the Frederick and Clark real estate offices in Nashville so they could try to find clues 
to Warner's mental state that was going on around all this time. And so far, nothing's been announced as far as a motive is concerned. Now, as you can guess, the media has talked to his neighbors, and the neighbors, most of them say, hey, you know, he was a recluse. He kind of kept to himself. Uh, he didn't have any, like, political signage in his front yard or or it wasn't, uh, there's was a, a rumor going around this guy was a MAGA terrorist. He's not a MAGA terrorist that we know of. He had no political affiliations. If he did, he kept all of that to himself. He was not very talkative. Uh, when he did talk to the neighbors, he kept his uh, conversations uh, polite, but very short and, and to the point. Now, one of his neighbors named Steve Schmolt, he said that Warner was, quote, a kind of, low-key to the point of, I don't know, I guess some people would say he's a little odd, is what Schmoltz said. Um, one of the things that, that he did was he put lights and security cameras all around the outside of his home and even built a privacy fence around the yard of his house, built it right by himself. And Schmoltz goes on to say that he never saw anyone come and go as far as coming and going out of Warner's homes. And never saw him go anywhere. As far as we know, he was kind of a computer geek that worked at home. And another neighbor named Rick Laud uh, said that he had a conversation with Warner less than a week before Christmas. Now, this is creepy. Laud said that he saw Warner standing in his mailbox, and he was driving by, so he pulled over in his car just to talk, just to, you know, be nice. And uh, he asked Warner, uh, how was his mom doing? And then he said, uh, hey, uh, is Santa going to bring you anything good for Christmas? And here's where it gets really creepy. He said, Warner smiled and said, oh, yeah, Nashville in the world is never going to forget me. Now, Laud said he didn't think much of this remark because he thought that Warner only meant that, you know, something good was going to happen to him financially. Like maybe he won the lottery or something like that. I don't know. Uh, and he goes on to say nothing about this guy raised any red flags. He was just quiet. So no real, like, anything that, that you could put together just based off of this, right? So he talked to a neighbor and said, oh, Nashville's not ever going to forget me. You know, okay, well, that doesn't necessarily mean anything bad's going to happen. But he called up his job and was like, hey, I'm retiring immediately. You're going to have to find somebody else. You can't say, okay, well, anything's, you know, something weird's going on with that. Kind of odd, but you can't put two and two together. So had these two people been talking, though, you know, maybe they would have known something is up. Because when people start doing some of the things that he did, usually that means something bad's going to happen. It usually means they're going to kill themselves because they start making – uh, weird comments like what he just made. They start giving shit away, which Warner has done. We'll discuss that in a minute. So, you know, but just if you look at the acts of what they're doing, just you take it by itself, then you can't say that anything really weird is going on. And remember, this guy was kind of uh, a loner. So he didn't have a lot of friends, obviously, and he didn't talk to a lot of people. So it's going to be hard to pick up on all of these cues that he's given off only in hindsight can we put everything together and say oh yeah it makes perfectly good sense so anyway a lot of people were saying this guy was a MAGA terrorist and all this other sorts of stuff there were uh, pictures of uh, this dude that was supposedly taken from Warner's Facebook page and it showed a guy standing with a make a, a MAGA hat on with a gun and all these Trump signs and stuff and all this sorts of stuff all around him Totally, completely, 100% false. That was not Anthony Quinn Warner. was not taken from his Facebook page. As a matter of fact, I don't even know that he had a Facebook page because I couldn't find it. I looked, and it was either taken down already by the time I got a chance to look, or he never had one in the first place. As a matter of fact, it was really hard to find a picture of this guy, period, that wasn't from his 1970-something high school yearbook or whenever it was he graduated. Um, the picture that is circulating all around the internet is his driver's license picture, 
And then there's one other picture of him at a parking garage uh, driving the RV where he's uh, paying, uh, trying to get into the parking garage. So not a lot of pictures of this dude. I mean, he's basically like um, just like a ghost almost, you know. So you look into his background some, and he did have some legal issues, had some recent ones, had some in his past. As far as the recent legal issues go, you can look at court records and show that he became um, embroiled in a family dispute uh, back in 2018. Uh, what he did was he transferred ownership. There, the, Apparently there was a, a second family home, and he transferred ownership of this home to himself about one month before his brother died in 2018. Uh, and the family took him to court. The case was dismissed in October of last year at the request of his mother. Now, um, the uh, family attorney, Yancey Belcher, uh, has declined to comment on anything with this. I'm sure the FBI has, you know, uh, disposed him at nauseum or deposed him at nauseum, ad nauseum um, but there's nothing that he's going to uh, comment on publicly, as far as I know. Uh, and court records also show a deed transfer. This is very interesting. This goes back to that if you could put all this together, you could see something was going to happen. So court records also show a deed transfer of Warner's residence in Antioch from him to some unidentified woman, I don't know who it is, in Los Angeles. And this happened on November the 25th of this year, so one month to the day before he blew himself up. And he didn't charge her a dime for this zero dollars so he just i don't know who this woman was i haven't been able to find anything else anything about her i don't know a name nothing like that she didn't even sign the document it was just it was he just transferred it she I, as far as i know hell she might not even know that may be why her name, signature is not on the document she might not have even known this it could be a family member someone he dated uh previously i i have no idea um now the special agent in charge of the uh fbi field office in memphis uh which also works out of here in nashville his name's doug Korneski. And he requested that anyone who has any knowledge about Warner to contact the police and share the information while this investigation is going on to try to help them find any and all motives. So if you live in the Nashville area and you're listening to this podcast, then uh, call up the uh, non-emergency line, 862-8600, for the Nashville Police Department and um, give them info anything that you know about Warner. And please don't call if you don't know anything, okay? So it appears that Anthony Quinn Warner didn't really want to hurt anyone except for himself during this whole debacle. But if that's the case, what other message is there? There has to be something, right? We're going to have to figure out some kind of motive so that all this makes some kind of sense. But so far, there's been no luck in that area. You just don't do what he did for no reason. There has to be a reason behind it. But as as of right now, as of the time that I'm recording this podcast, it is December the 30th, 2020, and the time is 4.53 p.m. So as of right now, there has been nothing that has been found that, or at least that, they're, that the police are giving in the public as to a motive. There's no suicide note. There's no manifesto. He didn't make a, a video of himself. Nothing, as far as I know, has been determined. If they have something like that, they are keeping it to themselves. So what this did was show just exactly how vulnerable our infrastructure is. And maybe that was his point. Maybe he wanted to show how vulnerable it was. I don't know. But the vulnerability of the telecommunications system here in Nashville and beyond became really, really clear on Christmas Day when that AT&T switching station got blowed up. So Nashville Mayor John Cooper said that the blast was 
basically what he felt like was an attack on infrastructure. The effects of that attack are sure to ripple through our region here for weeks as AT&T, they're scrambling to restore services while maintaining the integrity of an active investigation site that's, you know, just crawling around with, with feds. So you've got to really coordinate that. And they've been really doing a good job. Um, as part of my job in emergency management, um, we have had um, pretty much uh, daily briefings with um, uh, AT&T and Sprint and Verizon and, and, and all that. And uh, they're really working together and pretty much have 100% um, communications restored at this time. Um, state and local officials and experts say that the fact that a multi-state region could be brought to its knees by just one single bomb is a wake-up call when it comes to exposing vulnerabilities that really nobody didn't know existed. And it's just amazing that nobody thought that this might be a problem. I I guess you just don't ever anticipate someone parking in front of your switching station and blowing it up. But in today's day and age, you have to consider stuff like that. You've got to consider. I live in that world. I think about shit like that all the time because that's what I get paid to do. And you've got to mitigate this stuff. And there was no mitigation done for for this. So the bombing and the damage to that AT&T switching station was a single point of failure. That's the Achilles heel, the weak link. When one thing goes wrong and everything else comes crashing down, it's like a playing the game of Jenga where you pull that one block out to, towards the bottom and the whole thing comes crashing down. That's kind of what that was like. Now, they're still piecing together a motive, right? Um, but what they are saying is, and when I, mean, when I say they, I mean the authorities, what the investigators, the authorities are saying is that Anthony Quinn Water sought more destruction than he did death because basically he was trying to warn everybody to get the hell out of there, right? So what happened to the AT&T building during the explosion was that flames, of course, broke out during the building and uh, water mains were busted. There were um, sprinkler systems going off and the building had three feet of water pooled in the basement. Now, temporary battery power kept services intact in the hours following the explosion, but fire and flooding damaged backup power generators uh, to, to power those batteries. So the disruption brought communications in the Middle Tennessee region from, well, in the entire region, really, from Georgia to Kentucky, Middle Tennessee, um, down to North Alabama. It brought communications to a, just a, a grinding halt. It affected 911 call centers, hospitals, the Nashville airport, government offices, and individual mobile users. It caused issues with credit card readers, and and really just it, it took out businesses too because who carries cash anymore, right? And when you process all these credit and debit cards, how do you do it? You do it through the Internet. Guess what you don't have now? You don't have Internet, and this was not just big businesses like the aforementioned Walmart. This was big businesses, small businesses, businesses in between, just businesses. And on Monday, AT&T reported that the majority of services in Nashville had been restored through a combination of fixes, including generator repairs and a temporary network set up at Nissan Stadium, which is across the river from where all this happened. So, not only did their building get blown up and all the equipment in it get foobarred, but now they've had to relocate completely. Once again, something that they obviously did not mitigate and did not plan for and had no answer to, but kudos to them because they apparently do have a nationwide strike team uh, that uh, helps for stuff like this, and they have... Uh, 
they responded like immediately and have done a great job in restoring communications. So we had all kind of stuff was just completely messed up. And I'll, I'll, I will get into that in, in a little bit. So, um, let's talk about the police officers. So there were six police officers that were on the scene Friday and, um, they are credited to uh, saving so many lives. Luckily, one of them was, was uh, not luckily, luckily, I was going to say luckily they didn't die. Um, unfortunately, one of them was one of the three injuries. Uh, he got blown, uh, thrown to the ground during the concussion of the, uh, the, the blast concussion and uh, temporarily lost some hearing. So uh, he's, he's going to be fine. He's not going to be deaf or anything like that, but uh yeah, so, you know, um, thank God that we had these, you know, and, and really they are Nashville's finest, and they, they are heroes. They need to be celebrated as heroes, and, and we certainly are celebrating them as heroes. But after everything happened, um, cops couldn't communicate with each other. Now, radio communications was fine on the radio comms, but um, you couldn't call in anything on your cell phone. Because uh, it doesn't work, so the cops had to be issued burner phones, which is just crazy. I don't know. How, I, I what did they send someone to Best Buy? Hey, I'll take all of your track phones now. I don't know. Now, Nashville Police Department uses um, something called FirstNet. It's, it's a priority network for first responders. Um, to use on existing AT&T cell towers for voice and data. So you can imagine that that was, you know, some of the first net people had some service, some of them didn't, and you had to go get burner phones for your police department and your fire department. Nashville's 911 line uh, was, it was operational, but the people, the officials who were there were without access to administrative phone lines, um, Services, 911 services in surrounding counties were knocked out and alternate phone numbers had to be uh, given out. It was it was crazy. Um, Keith Durbin, who is Nashville's director of uh, IT services, said that Verizon phones had to be driven out to some of the staff on Christmas Day because different network. Now, I'm on... Um, uh, the Sprint network, which just got brought out, bought out by T-Mobile, and I was having cell phone communication problems. As you can imagine, me being uh, in emergency management, my cell phone was blowing up, and I could not make or um, receive telephone calls. But what I could do was get text messages. Unfortunately. Some of the text messages that I was sending out to my people, letting them know what was going on, uh, they they didn't get delivered until like the next day. So I had some some panicked people calling me, thinking that something else was going on because they were just now getting a text message from me that had Friday's information in it, and they didn't get it till ten o'clock Saturday night. So even if you weren't on AT and T's network, you still had problems. To have AT&T completely taken out was absolutely the worst case scenario. The impact was a much broader impact than what most people realize. But luckily, none of the city's internal networks was affected, so they could still um, make internal phone calls, you know, like use extension numbers and stuff like that. Uh, the the medical center. I work at a level three trauma center just outside of Nashville, Tennessee. And I work in as the emergency manager there, emergency operations manager. And our phone lines were VOIP. Well, guess what? We couldn't use them. We couldn't make or send, we couldn't receive or send phone calls outside of the building. Our internal extensions worked just fine, but we could not communicate to people outside of of our hospital, nor could they, they, we couldn't call them. They couldn't call in, uh, nine one one communications. Um, some of them, uh, were affected to the point to where 
um, we had to get an alternate telephone number to the facility so people could not only call and check on their loved ones, but so that EMS could call and give a report because some of them, they're, um, for whatever reason, some of their communication equipment, the, the radios that they used to call in were affected. It was just, it was just un- unbelievable. Uh, uh, our EMS radio report system is connected to, guess what, the Internet. So, you know, our system was also down. And it was just, it, it was, it, we were, um, as far as communication goes, we were almost dead in the water. Now, we did have some, some backup stuff um, just in case we needed it. Um, but, believe it or not, we were actually pretty prepared for something like this. And it was just luck, I think, that we had infrastructure in our facility. Um, and it's because of good mitigation. Not that I was ever, and I'm not patting myself on the back, um, but communication is always important. And you never think that one bomb in downtown Nashville is going to take out all communications in the whole Middle Tennessee area. You just don't, you don't, you don't think like that. But luckily, we had backup communications in place, and we were able to get an alternate phone line up and running pretty quickly. But for a couple of hours there, we were pretty much dead in the water. Um, so the city was able to switch from AT&T to a secondary Internet carrier uh, by Friday afternoon, but they didn't have a backup for phone services. And unfortunately, that's something that officials have considered in the recent years but never acted upon because you know oh nothing's ever going to happen why do you think you know we would need backup for something like that so those those discussions no doubt will be uh revisited after this bombing probably in the next city council meeting so i'm pretty confident that it'll get a a, a lot of support now uh, like i said 911 centers reported outages uh, as far as 100 miles away from Nashville, residents in the area received reverse emergency phone calls to inform them not to call 911, but instead use an alternate phone number to get in touch with 911 dispatchers. And then there were, you know, the retail stores, pharmacies, businesses, and hospitals that were impacted. The, the Tennessee General Assembly, which has offices adjoining the Capitol, which is downtown, also had outages over the weekend. The email system was down, and staff were uh, forced to work from home on Monday. State government office buildings were closed for the whole day on Monday because of safety hazards that the outages continued to pose, and fire and safety alarm systems in state buildings in the downtown area, well, in the Nashville area, were still not fully functioning because they're so heavily dependent on what? The Internet. Other state services were impacted uh, through uh, uh, state employees found uh, workarounds the, uh, around these, but there were other state authorities that were impacted. Um, one of them is the, uh, the ability to, re- to uh, report child abuse, which is an important thing. And as I said before, hospitals in the region also had to work around outages um, because of phone systems going down, and we were not able to receive incoming calls, nor were we able to make outgoing calls. Vanderbilt University Medical Center uh, was affected, uh, and the I work for HCA, Hospital Corporation of America, and the TriStar Division. Uh, our TriStar Division of, of hospitals were experiencing some some intermittent outages, especially those in the downtown area. Although my my hospital is not in the downtown area, once again we were still affected because of our VOIP. So both hospital systems had to set up new temporary phone numbers for people to call into the facilities. There were limitations to flight corridors in and out of the Nashville International Airport, but that didn't have a significant impact on flight departure and arrivals. Um, maybe uh, forty. 45 out of 116 flights, I think, was what I saw uh, that were scheduled for departure on, on 
on Monday were were delayed. Um, so it could have been a lot a lot worse. But the Nashville airport, I'm not going to say it's nowhere near downtown. It's probably 15 miles from downtown, so not super far, but not you know not super close. But still, once again, you could have had potential. The radar was not the problem, but there were other communication problems that were going on. So this thing, this one event was huge. And now we're having to deal with copycat wannabes. If you listen to part one of this, there towards the end, I said that uh, there were reports that were unsubstantiated at that time of a driver um, um, that was playing the same warning out of his, blasting out of his truck that was that was being chased um, that was unsubstantiated. I didn't have any confirmation to that. It was just a rumor, but yeah, so. That is true. The driver of a box truck was parked outside a convenience store in uh, one of our neighboring counties in Rutherford County, um, and he was arrested on felony charges on Sunday after loudly playing audio that was really similar to what was heard in the moments before the Christmas Day blast. The Tennessee Highway Patrol sent a robot to probe the truck, but no explosives were found. Um, But there was a child that was in the vehicle. I don't know why there was a child in the vehicle. And there was a police chase that ensued that was part of this that went through several counties. And uh, when they finally, when he finally pulled over, they finally got him stopped. It closed down the highway, Highway 231, closed down a portion of that for five hours. Now, the uh, the guy that was arrested, his name is James Turgeon. He's 33 and he was charged with two counts of felony filing a false report and one count of tampering with evidence and held on a half-million-dollars bond. And according to the authorities, there's no connection uh, other than that the individual was taking advantage of the situation. Um, At this moment, I haven't heard any reasons given as to why Turgeon did what he did, but I suspect either mental instability or attention-seeking behavior is what I'm saying. So why did Anthony Quinn Warner do what he did? That is the million-dollar question that everybody wants the answer to, and we just don't have that. So Warner left behind clues that suggest that he was planning this bombing for a while, and intended to kill himself, but no real clear motive has been brought forth. That's been an elusive thing. We hope to get an answer, but sometimes it's just not possible. Law enforcement will tell you that the best way to find a motive is to talk to the individual, but that's not going to happen in this case. Investigators are analyzing Warner's belongings collected during their investigation, including a computer and a portable hard drive, and continue to interview witnesses as they try to identify a motive for the explosion. Now, a review of his financial transactions also uncovered purchases of potential bomb-making components. And at some point in time, in I think it was 2013, or up to 2013, he had a license to deal in explosives. So that is very scary. You see what happened. And uh, speaking of, of doing things that were scary, um, you know, uh, I told you that he told a neighbor, Nashville's never going to forget me. The world's never going to forget me. He uh, gave uh, some lady in Los Angeles the deed to his house. He quit his job. Well, he also recently gave away a vehicle, and he told the person that he gave it to that he'd been diagnosed with cancer. But right now, we don't know whether he really did have cancer or not. That could have just been something he was making up. We don't know. Um, So that was the vehicle that investigators used the hat and gloves from to uh, get the DNA to match Warner's DNA. And they also took some DNA from one of his family members as well. 
So, uh, like I said, he also gave away his home in Antioch um, to a Los Angeles woman a month before the bombing. Uh, the property record uh, was dated no, uh, November 25th, which is uh, exactly a month from the day to the day that he, he blew himself up. Um, don't know who this woman is. Her signature is not on the document. Didn't charge her any money. So, like I said, I don't even know if she's aware that he did this. He might That might have been a family member or someone he dated or an ex or something. Who knows? Um. He had worked as a computer consultant for Nashville real estate agent Steve Frederick, who uh, told the, the Associated Press in a text message that Warner had said that he was retiring earlier in the month. Now, officials say that Warner had not been on their radar at any time before Christmas. A uh, law enforcement report released on Monday showed that his only arrest in his life was for a marijuana-related charge all the way back in 1978. So not a guy that was prone to have run-ins with the law. It does appear that uh, the intent was more destruction than death, but again, that's all still speculation at this point because the investigation is still ongoing and we don't have anything that has been released as of this point. Uh, No video, no note, no letter, no manifesto, nothing. Furthermore, officials have not provided insight as to why Warner selected the particular location for the bombing. So um, he could have done that 100% on purpose as some sort of revenge or or something. Uh, Maybe he knew that if he blew that up that it would cause what it caused. Uh, we just we just don't know. Um, we don't even know right now what he used to to make the bomb with. Forensic, forensic analysts are still reviewing evidence from the blast site to identify the components of the explosives, uh, and as well as uh, information from the U.S. Bomb Data Center for intelligence and investigative leads. So, they're they don't even know what he was using to make the bomb yet. Uh, and they're still examining his digital footprint and financial history. So there's still a lot of unanswered questions here. Uh, the special agent in charge of the FBI's Memphis field office, Doug Korneski, said that they are looking at any and all motives and are interviewing acquaintances and friends and employers to try to determine what might have motivated him. Korneski says that they're still following leads, but right now there's no indication that any other person or persons were involved. They've reviewed hours of security video surrounding the the, uh, the RV and saw no other people involved. One of the things that they are investigating is they are very interested to find uh, out if Warner might have been a 5G conspiracy theorist. Now, this is one of the weird um, conspiracy theories about him that's going around out there. First of all, there's the one that said he was a MAGA terrorist, which he's not. There's the stuff that's saying that he was part of a a um, maybe a terrorist cell or a militia group or something like that. No, he's absolutely not. Any pictures that you see on the Internet that show his home where it has um, – uh, political signs or Trump stuff, make America great again, anything like that. Any picture you see that has any political signs of, of any kind in his yard, those are doctored because his neighbor said he did not do anything like that. And there's, as far as I know, there's only one picture of uh, his home, and that was from the real estate website with Frederick and March. And thus, that's the one that people are, falsifying they're they're putting all kind of weird signs and trump this and make america great again and all that so there's no truth to that either um we don't know if he was part of you know a a larger group who was trying to test um you know our infrastructure it does not appear to be that way um, but we don't know because we don't have any motives determined at this time so 
one of the, like I said, one of the weird theories is that he was a 5G conspiracy theorist. And if you don't know what the 5G conspiracy theory is, then once again, you've probably been living under a rock. So there are people out there who think that 5G is spreading or causing a biological coronavirus, COVID-19, which is completely asinine. There's no way that this thing, you're looking at something that's, you know, electronic and has radio frequencies and shit, and that has nothing to do with biologics. So that's just total bonkers. But he obviously wasn't mentally stable because he blew himself up. So, you know, he didn't want to kill himself. Why, we don't know. But um, I'd be really, really interested to see if he was a 5G conspiracy theorist. But once again... We have no answers to that. So we do have some answers to some questions, but the main one, which is why, we just don't know. And there's a possibility that we will never know. But I will keep my eye open and my ears to the to the ground on this. And if I find out any new information, I will do a part three. But as of right now, That's all that we know. So there's no real big conspiracy theory here, people. There's nothing to see here. Move along, right? Um, We don't know why he did it. Uh, Anything other than we don't know why is purely speculation, and it does not appear that he was part of any terrorist cell or anything like that. It's, It's yet to be determined. So... We'll leave it at that, and maybe maybe one day we'll find the answer, and, and I can come back and I can I can close this thing out. But uh, there's no I, what I have basically given you have been the facts as I know it. I haven't done a lot of speculating because there's really nothing to speculate about. Now, there's a lot of chatter on the internet that says that the police are lying to us, the mainstream media is lying to us, and that's just a bunch of crap. That's just dumb people touting out shit just to say shit. Okay, if you don't trust the mainstream media and you think they're lying to you about everything, then just shut the hell up and don't watch the news. Don't listen to the news. Just be uninformed. Okay. now I know the mainstream media has screwed up a lot and that there are a lot of times when they do lie to us. I I, I don't think that this is one of those times. Um, There's really nothing to be gained here. As far as um, the scope of this thing, it's kind of a blip on the radar. And I hate to say that because I live here, but it's kind of a a blip on the radar. It just impacted a small little area. It's not like um, the World Trade Center bombings. It's not like a, um, it's not like Sandy Hook or anything like that. You know, um, this is, this is just, it was the, one lone person, and there's no evidence to indicate that there's any kind of conspiracy going on here. The 5G thing, that would be interesting to find out if he was a 5G conspiracy theorist, but, you know, at this point, we have no idea. So that about does it for this special part two episode of the Nashville bombing. Let me know what you thought about it. Send me an email, sandman at parareality.com, or get in touch with me through my social media accounts. That would be uh, parareality.sandman.com. Oh, not Jesus Christ, I can't even talk. Sandman at parareality.com is my email, or on my public social media accounts, you can go to Facebook, facebook.com slash sandman.parareality, or follow me on Twitter and Instagram at parareality.com. Radio. You can also call the studio line at 615-692-1170. Leave me a message. Let me know what you thought about this and part one or any other thing about the show. And uh, you can find me on YouTube, YouTube, Parareality1 on YouTube. And uh, I have updated my website, made it a bunch, uh, added a bunch of stuff, made it, made it a lot more user-friendly. So, please be sure to visit parareality.com. That's where you can find out a whole bunch of stuff that's going on in the world of parareality. Listen to some uh, some of the show archives. Watch some of the terrible show videos that I've made. Shop in the Parareality Radio store. You can um, 
uh, read all about uh, paranormal news from all over the world. I have an, it's called Para News. I have a Para News fa- uh, page, and you can uh, read just all kinds of stories. That stuff's updated almost on a daily basis. You can read all kind of paranormal and weird news from all around the world. Like I said, you can also shop in the Parareality Radio Store and watch some of the terrible show videos that I've made over the years. And if you're one of those people that uh, really don't do social media or don't have Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and you don't really want to create an account just to follow the podcast, but you'd like to follow the podcast on social media, but you're like, I'm not creating a damn Facebook account for that shit, or I'm not going on Twitter for that shit, or whatever, don't worry because I got you covered. There's now an entire page of parareality.com devoted solely to my social media accounts. That's right. Every Facebook post or tweet or Instagram picture or anything like that that I do can be found right there on my website, right under the social media tab. So you don't have to create a social media account if you don't want to. Social media is where you can find out a lot about what's happening behind the scenes of the podcast because that's where I I post a lot of interesting articles and show topics and other interesting stuff like my travels and investigations and stuff like that. So if you don't want to create a social media account but you like to like to see some of the some different stuff don't worry i got you covered parareality.com click on the social media tab and there you go you can follow me right there parareality can also be heard on your favorite podcast station just search for parareality and if you have a smart speaker you can listen there too so just activate any one of the already mentioned podcast skills on your device and say Play the Parareality Podcast. I've also got that YouTube account, and you can listen to the podcast there too. It's full of some great videos like uh, UFO and paranormal documentaries and a little news segment that I started, but then, you know, hashtag COVID hit, and I haven't been able to really keep up with that. But uh, I got a little news segment called News of the Strange, and I've also got those terrible show videos that I did. So uh, find the channel. Just uh, go to youtube.com slash user slash Parareality one. And finally, I've got a Patreon account for the podcast, and I'd love it if you'd sign up to be a patron. There are three tiers of support, and all are extremely affordable, $5 a month or less, and each level offers exclusive content, along with the ability to help create podcast episodes and even a chance to be a guest or co-host. So I call it the Knowledgeable Apprentices of Sandman. So if you want to be an agent of chaos, head on over to patreon.com slash parareality and uh, join the Patreon page and become an agent of chaos. Well, everybody, like I said, that does it. Next episode of Parareality is scheduled to air on January 1st, which is just a couple of days away at 8 o'clock p.m. Central U.S. time going to have a round table discussion about the year 2020 my special guest will be of course eric will be in the co-host chair and i got oz from the oddball aussie show to round up that panel so make sure you turn on tune in and find out i hope this podcast opens up your mind and new ways of thinking expands your consciousness and produces a change in the way you see the world if you wish to change You must lift the veil of ignorance that has been cast over your eyes. Only then will you see the true power of the universe. Hope you have a wonderful evening, a great New Year's Eve, and I will see you on New Year's Day, January the 1st at 8 o'clock p.m. Good night, everybody. If you wish to change, you must first lift the veil of ignorance that has been cast over your eyes. Only then will you see the true power of the universe.